Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Christy Ebong, who is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy for Orbita, the leading conversational AI platform for healthcare. Orbita powers virtual health assistants that help healthcare and life science organizations engage patients, improve outcomes, and reduce costs. Christy also serves on the advisory board for the Johns Hopkins University Carey School of Business, and she was previously the head of emerging technology at Cedars-Sinai Health System, where she served as an advisor on new and emerging technology and launched the Cedars-Sinai Accelerator powered by Techstars. In this episode, Christy talks more about the Orbita platform and all the different solutions they are creating, how they look at problem solving in the industry, opportunities for startups within the kind of healthcare space, and much, much more. As always, the show notes are justgrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast and the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Christy Ebong, the Senior Vice President of Corporate Strategy for Orbita. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Justin, for having me. Yes, great to have you on and talk all things Orbita and healthcare and Europe history as, as well. And where I'd like to get started is for people who aren't familiar, what is Orbita? Yeah, great question. Orbita is a conversational AI platform for healthcare and life sciences uh, organizations. And so at the end of the day, in layman's terms, it means that we are a platform wherein you can design and manage uh and and experiences for chatbots and voice bots that are across any channel. And so with patient populations, you can imagine that's particularly interesting as some of the largest consumers of healthcare are actually either older patients or patients who are potentially less digitally literate. And so the imperative to be able to access information or to engage with somebody whether it's via a chatbot on their on their phone, on their mobile phone, or their web browser, uh, or even via a voice bot over the phone. Think of kind of the newfang- newfangled IVR, <laughs> if you will, yep. um, is really important because a lot of these patients need more care and more connection than they're getting today. And so that's really where Orbita starts to fill gaps in engagement. Yeah, it's such a need. And you're seeing companies pop up now in different industries kind of adjacent uh, to that as well and using these technologies to help people. And it's so kind of interesting to see even on like whether obviously with healthcare side of things, even with like pet health, telehealth, different things where people are doing digital. And I want to dig way more into everything Orbit is doing. But first, I'm curious, like, what is your role? Could you tell me a little bit more about your role within Orbit right now? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we are we are a growing growth stage startup. So my role is corporate strategy, which means I do a little bit of everything. Um, <laughs> I came into to the organization really as, a, as an industry player to help us navigate the very dynamic and changing uh, healthcare and life science industry to help us really figure out the best product market fit. And then how do we step on the gas? How do we use this technology in the most optimal ways to really meet the needs of both healthcare and life science organizations, but also, and most importantly, the patients that they serve. And so I spend all my time thinking about when there are gaps in care, when patients are looking for care, um, when they are already sick, how do we use chatbots and voice bots to really stay connected with them in, in powerful and meaningful ways? And what's exciting about my role, I think, is that especially in this COVID and post-COVID world, we're realizing more than ever that the ability to engage virtually 
and in a natural way, whether that's via voice or via chatting, um, is more important than ever. And what's cool about this is that it really transcends demographics. It transcends, as I mentioned, digital literacy. And so there's never a dull day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much to do within that. How are you going about that then in terms of figuring out like what do patients, what these people really need? How do you go about figuring that out? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the big problems that we're focused on solving is what we call the access problem. So access issues within healthcare are really how do you find the right care or the right physician or provider um, at the right time, right? And so, for example, with, with, with COVID-19 and the pandemic, there's a lot of patients that are scared. They're uncertain yeah. of when to be seen. They don't know who to go to. You know, for something that before all of this happened, they might have just called their primary care provider or gone to an urgent care or an emergency department. Now that's very scary to them. And so to be able to screen symptoms remotely and then say, you know what, for, for this, I actually think it'd be great if we started with a virtual visit or a video visit, or, you know what, these symptoms, actually, I think you should come in and be seen. And let us assure you, we've got all the protocols in place to bring you into our emergency department safely. Um, and so the, I think the ability to meet patients where they are, regardless of whether it's a, a concerned parent, um, or maybe it's, you know, it's a patient who's undergoing treatment for cancer, like chemotherapy. And so they're immunosuppressed and they have specific or unique needs uh, is, is really important. And so the access issue is one where we're using chatbots and also optimizing for discoverability in a digital marketing sense so that uh, as patients are searching for information, uh, often with natural language queries, and this is really where voice comes in, uh, that we're able to optimize for that. And so if you ask something, for example, because you're in Los Angeles and you say, uh, who is the best uh, infectious disease doctor near me? We really help healthcare organizations be discoverable. And so that mm. there, it's that connective tissue, if you will, yep. uh, between two organizations. I th that's the big problem, number one. And number two, problem that we're really focused on right now in the COVID world is kind of remote care management and, and population health. And so, for example, one of our customers is a really large uh, kidney dialysis center that's all over the country. And patients come in for dialysis. And they're scared. They're not sure, do I still come in? If they don't come in, that's sometimes very dangerous and scary. Yeah. Um, and so we're sending outbound phone calls to those patients, doing screenings. Uh, we've got you know natural uh, answering engine built in. And so they can interrupt the voice bot and ask questions um, and get answers right on the spot. And if their needs aren't met, get escalated to, to a live individual or, or care team member. Yeah, and there's so much within that in terms of looking at the the partnerships side of things, and and obviously you're you're on the corporate strategy, corporate development side of things. Like, how do you look at then the strategy with partners and getting people signed up? I'm curious about that side of things as well. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so it's a quite a a complex environment. I think one area where we really use partners is in content. And so uh, similar to the electronic health record movement of the last, uh, I'd say, 30 plus years, uh, we are really looking at content partners 
to work with as we as we roll out some of these conversational uh, chatbots and voice bots to different organizations. One of our trusted content partners is the Mayo Clinic. Um, anybody who's ever done a search for healthcare information, which is, I think it's the stats are ninety percent of patients when they're looking for care, turn <laughs> yeah. to Google. Um, oftentimes, Mayo Clinic is up there, and so we we work closely with them on their content. But we also uh, have uh, clinicians in house that process content and from different trusted sources and and seek to incorporate that into into our our agents. Yeah. And one thing with getting even to this point for you personally and getting to Orbita, you have a, quite the history in terms of experience of like emerging technology, uh, for instance, at Cedar sinai and then even helping launch the the accelerator powered by, by Techstars. How do you look at different technologies or new companies coming out with different things that you can either implement at, at Orbita or like do something similar? How do you view that as you're seeing the landscape of things? Yeah, it's a great question. My whole career has been in the emerging tech space within healthcare. For me, it's really about understanding the individual consumer and patient experience. And so I'm actually inspired by my own experiences living and working in diverse places. And so I'm born and raised in the Midwest. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the East Coast in the Mid-Atlantic um, and then have been out here in, in California between San Francisco and Los Angeles while actually traveling for most of my career. And so understanding how different people uh, approach healthcare, how people understand the industry, I think is really, really important to being effective in communicating, right? And so we often look at the San Francisco tech bubble as concerning from a diversity perspective, because if we don't actually have folks at the table from different age groups or different ethnic backgrounds or different, you know, sexuality representations, I think what we're looking at is we're limiting our ability to effectively care for them. And so understanding and approaching healthcare with a really broad and open mindset is, uh, is extremely important. Yeah. And on to that point too, then how do you make sure that you do have a diverse group or diverse perspectives as you're, as you're building out these chatbots, as you're getting feedback, how do you make sure you kind of incorporate that to address this, this problem for many different people? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's at every level, right? One, we're actually working on, we have really robust hiring initiatives around diversity, inclusion, and equity to make sure that the folks internally on our teams um, have that broad representation. And so we're really proud, given that we're about 40 plus people soaking wet. We've got some, <laughs> some pretty great representation, but we also have a lot of room for improvement. Um, and then we also we work closely with our with our customers to better understand their patient population. We work with designers on the ground to do what they call patient journey mapping to understand what are some of the problems that your patient population faces. And what's really cool, um, I actually just saw an RFI come out for a state-based Medicaid program the other day that was saying part of our challenge is our population has very different channels they prefer for engagement. Some love oh, the phone, yeah. right? Some love their their um, their their smartphone and they just want to do everything asynchronously. Others love email. And so what's exciting for me, back to your question about the technology that we're working with at Orbita and conversational AI is that it's really transcendent. So within our platform, you create an interactive you know, chatbot, voicebot experience. Think, um, I'm going to oversimplify here, but think <laughs> almost like SurveyMonkey yep. as a voicebot or chatbot, right? And so you can, uh, uh, you can do a pain survey 
and assess somebody's pain, or you can ask questions about symptoms and symptom checking. And then on the back end, you also get feedback about stickiness. It's like what works and what doesn't work. And so if you're noticing, huh, with our prostate cancer population, it's older men, um, they're typically dropping off an engagement when we ask this question. Maybe we need to change that. Uh, or maybe we need to, you know, take a look at, at are there any other common denominators with that population that that represent needs that are unmet? And so what's cool about the emerging tech is it's not just, you know, an old fashioned press one for yes, <laughs> two for no, yeah. but it offers the ability to answer questions in context. For example, if you're doing a COVID screening and then you interrupt it to say, well, what if I'm pregnant? It answers you and it gives a meaningful answer. And to also get that feedback so that you continue to build that trust with the person who's often in a vulnerable state. Yeah. And with that, with all the technology and with the things you're, you're building with Orbita, I'm curious as to what is kind of the, the, the big grand vision of what this even could be? Because I can see a lot of different applications and how it can evolve, but what's the, what's the vision for this that you're kind of working towards with it? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think in the future, a lot of organizations, not just in healthcare, but especially in healthcare, will have almost like, you know, a chat bot here and a voice bot there. (laughs) And so how do you really start creating an enterprise ecosystem? Because as a patient myself, I am a patient myself, I have my specialist, but then I also have my children's pediatricians, right? Our family doctors, we might have a dermatologist. And so to really create a consistent end to end experience is so important. Um, And for building up trust and stickiness and engagement, And if we're going to try to stay connected with patients, we can't afford to lose them, right? If you lose their trust, they're gone. And so the window for being effective is is narrow. I think we're getting better at it and we're learning a lot over time. Yeah. And the the whole end-to-end, like you mentioned, is is important as you can just have this. It's it's just easier and more convenient. And it just makes sense that you're addressing all the needs kind of that you can and then directing them to the right point or right spot where they need to get help. One thing too, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, do you see other areas for startups in this space or what, where do you think that there's going to be potentially like more companies in this space or opportunities for people who are interested in, you know, startups in this sphere? Where do you think their opportunities are? That's a great question. I think what's interesting is when people think about tech startups, they always think about developers, but the need is so much broader than that. It's really, you need designers, right? You need folks that are able to understand how to take a company to market, especially in healthcare, it's a disaggregated value chain, right? A lot of us have health insurance companies that pay for our care and we don't necessarily want to pay out of pocket. So really understanding what those reimbursement mechanisms are uh, requires business minds at the table and industry minds. And so I often think about industry in more unconventional ways where if it's a tech company, I think about what are all of the non-developer roles that this company will need to be successful? And that's where there's a ton of opportunity. And I think you're seeing this in the advanced education space as well, is you're starting to see uh, you know, institutions of, of higher education adapting to providing multidisciplinary backgrounds. You know, if it's a if it's a graduate business program, they'll have some lessons in entrepreneurship or like the one I did, cross-train in public health. And so having that that varietal exposure and bringing a multidisciplinary team to the table is ultimately, in my opinion, what's going to make companies successful, especially some of these earlier stage tech companies. 
Yeah. And it's just been fascinating to see what people are doing in kind of the health space. And there's so many different ways to get involved. I've interviewed a couple of people, Shiv Gaglani from Osmosis, uh, online education uh, platform is the same with uh, Brian Conyer from Giblib. And that's looking at like doctors and educating them through like basically like Hollywood style videos uh, filming surgeries and such uh, of that nature, just to see the different startups and companies in kind of the health more broadly space um, is interesting. And it's going to really help the industry uh, evolve. As you see people, the doctors from the highest level getting the training, always circling down to the, the actual patients getting treatment and how that works over time. I just kind of find it fascinating. And and with your journey, so I have to go back to this whole launching the, the Cedar sinai Accelerator. Like, what was that experience like? What did that consist of? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm laughing <laughs> because at the time it was seen as um, very unconventional. No one had really done it and, and potentially even stupid. And so we knew that it was either going to be a big hit or a big failure. Um, <laughs> I took it on. I was working with some really great leadership at Cedars, um, their CIO and um, and their, their head of legal and tech transfer. And it ended up being an incredible success. I think what we realized is we've learned a lot about the role of a corporate entity in innovation. Um, and we see this in the venture world, right? Where there are institutional uh, venture investors, and then you have more of the corporate uh, corp dev folks. And yep. what my bet was then, and my bet is even stronger now, is that ultimately strategics or corporations and organizations are going to become more and more important in the emerging tech and the, in the investment fundraising space. And the reason for that is that money is money. I mean, there's, there's money in different pockets and different angles of industry everywhere. But what's different is having stakeholders at the table that can really bring an intrinsic value to saying yes, out of the gates, we're going to find ways to make this work. What's different if you don't have those folks at the table is that you're really trying to get someone's attention and say, no, really, we think we have something here. We have the solution, but what are your problems? And that's a <laughs> little bit backwards, right? It's tricky. And so if you do have a solution or a technology and you're looking for problems, Having folks at the table with problems is pretty important, but even better if they're really coming with you along that journey as you continue to adapt and learn and to identify all of the really innovative ways that you can solve some of those problems and really change things for the better. Yeah. And going back to this, the beginning even of, of launching the accelerator, you said that people weren't definitely, were not all about that. Let's just say, um, how did you get people to buy in and what did that look like in the beginning in terms of yeah, obviously how that partnership worked with between Cirrus Sinai and then the, the startups? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that, you know, I, I don't know if people weren't all about that as much as there was maybe some skepticism or, or concern, because at that point, at least in healthcare, there were a lot of very valid concerns about this phenomenon that we call death by pilot. And that's where you take an early stage company. And I had done this myself in previous roles. You take an early stage company, you try to get them to work with a large organization and as you're navigating the red tape and contracting, that company that's pretty cash lean and is trying to do some really cool things, they can run out of cash just waiting for your legal team to yeah. go through their typical red tape process. And so um, what was super exciting was getting legal at the table, uh, getting IT at the table, and then getting some critical business stakeholders, for example, like the CFO who looks at budgeting models and can help navigate where's the business model here. That's so important. I, I can't 
emphasize it enough how many times I've seen uh, in an emerging tech and healthcare career, <laughs> people with great ideas, often who have been patients themselves or who have family members, have a hard experience and say, ah, I've got a solution. But don't understand the complexities of the industry. And the complexities are changing. We have you know, new threats to the incumbents that are, are forcing us to digitize, for example, um, and to streamline how the patient gets information or can look at things like uh, price transparency. But it's a complex world. And so I think that goes back to where for us at Cedars in, in, in launching that was, um, was really looking at bringing the right folks to the table that are saying, yes, we're going to find ways to make this work out of the gates. Without that type of relationship, so startups in the kind of health space and not going through a Cedar Sinai, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges with that. What would you tell those startups? Because obviously people listening are entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, or you know potentially thinking about starting businesses in a variety of spaces. Specifically interested in health, based on this interview, I mean, would you suggest they do try to join Accelerator in the health space, or what would you say among the challenges within getting a, a health startup off the ground? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think part of it is if you have uh, if you have talent on your team that comes from the industry, they can provide that leveling, right, and that that insight or, or know where to go to get the information. Um, at Orbita, we went through the Pulse at Mass Challenge program. It's a public partner or public private partnership um, by the state of Massachusetts. Really cool, very innovative, the first of its kind, and got some great private industry deals that came out of that um, in the earlier stages of Orbita before I was even there. Um, and so I think it goes back to your question about partnerships. Yeah. Not going it alone is so important, right? And that's because there are a lot of people out there doing interesting things, and we really try to approach the market as win-win and looking at every every person out there, every company out there as how could we potentially work together on this? We've even uh, had companies that could have potentially been perceived as competitors that organizations we've both been pursuing have said, actually, if you both made this adjustment, you'd be super complimentary and it'd offer a huge value to our patients. And so we've, we've seen that as well. And so I think that's what's exciting about a growing uh, earlier stage company is just the opportunity to have an open mind to continue to pivot and adapt as industry changes. I mean, no one could have anticipated <laughs> the last six months. No, Nobody, no. <laughs> right? And so to have partners out there, to have contacts and network across industry that you can have those conversations about how do we make this work? Um, how do we really impact people and, and change things is, is for me what, what gets me most excited. Yeah. And on that note, obviously impacting people and of the craziness of the last six months with COVID-19, I mean, I would love to dig a little bit deeper. Like, How has that changed either your thinking around what the corporate strategy will be or, or anything around what, how the business is going to operate because of COVID-19 and then moving forward from there? Yeah, it's interesting. So some conventional startup wisdom would be, at least in healthcare, I don't know about beyond healthcare, you know, if you start with a platform, that can be tricky, right? Because you're looking yeah. for repeatability in order to really create scale. And so that's why a lot of companies come to market as a point solution. We actually came to market as a platform, had about 30 uh, large enterprise customers, and then started saying, where's the repeatability here to then come up the stack and solution, if you will. And so um, for us, that actually became a huge source of strength because we use the core tooling on the platform to solution very quickly. Uh, when COVID hit, we developed a 
a pretty cool and very robust bot. Um, I would argue more robust than some of the big tech players out there um, within 10 days and got Whoa. that to market. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> cool. And then we were doing a pop health bot with a large um, illustrious academic center here in the Bay Area um, that we launched within two weeks. Um, another one we launched with a, a large employer that produces ventilators. It's 100,000 employees globally, and they really needed to ramp up their ventilator production for um, for fighting COVID. And so it's been fun to be able to use the platform to build faster um, and to adapt very quickly. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And so uh, if anything, COVID has been humbling, I think, to all of us. Um, I wake up every morning thinking about, <laughs> all right, what does this mean? And my takeaway has been, I think this is the call of our generation, right? Yeah. We all are going to have to say, what did I do? How, what did I bring to the table? Did I just sit back and complain and, and feel sorry for myself? Was I scared? Was I angry? Um, and I think we're all scared and angry and all those things. But at the end of the day, <laughs> what motivates me from a professional perspective is we have an incredible opportunity right now to make an impact, um, to help people feel more taken care of, to help people be safer um, and I think that that's something that we can't squander. So the team's been yeah. working pretty hard. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an interesting pivotal time uh, in everyone's lives, really, and, and how that affects people. And there's opportunities to really make a difference, uh, especially now. Um, one thing you had mentioned with being able to get a product out in 10 days, which is kind of insane. Um, how do you prioritize the different projects, whether it be a new product you want to launch or something more long term? How do you prioritize those as we're thinking through like the strategy for Orbita? Oh, it's like you're living my life or something. <laughs> we actually, I created a, a kind of, I had fun doing it. It was a heat map um, with just different subjective and some objective criteria around all of our uh, solutions, all of our use cases, and then looking at market dynamics and market trends, um, and then really looking at the opportunity, which are the ones that are potentially the most mature have the greatest differentiating advantage um, and can can get out there quickly. And so when we did that kind of heat map exercise of looking at where a really product market fit in a post-COVID world, it became pretty clear to us um, to those reasons I mentioned earlier around access and, and some of the population health care management issues that that's really our near-term focus. Um, we'll continue to do some of our more inpatient, like Alexa at the bedside gyms, um, in parallel to that as, as, as hospitals regain census and, and start reopening their doors to, to broader non-COVID patient populations as well. Christy, one of the things we haven't really discussed too in depth yet, I, I'm, I'm really curious about is where does your kind of passion and interest in, in healthcare come from? I wish I could say it was <laughs> it was deliberate, but <laughs> I actually started in undergrad at uh, a little school where near where you and I are both from. Um, not a little school uh, at University of Wisconsin. I was working in the School of Medicine uh, for the Office of International Health, and my boss there throughout undergrad was this brilliant woman, Dr. Judith Ludinsky. She'd gotten her PhD in like the mid to late sixties. Um, just really a pioneer. And she would go to Vietnam a few times a year and build out infrastructure in Vietnam. She would bring refrigerated briefcases of human retinas for a transplant because in Vietnam yeah. they had, at the time, brilliant transplant surgeons, but they didn't have harvesting infrastructure. And so 
they would do eye transplants with the organs that she was bringing over. Um, she, I remember one time brought a briefcase of bovine ove, so cow eggs. Um, oh, they had exactly right. <laughs> These cows apparently produced a milk that was better for pediatric development um, for in children. And so they were looking at doing breeding programs to, to support some of that child nutrition infrastructure. And for me, as an undergrad studying political science at the time, that was mind blowing and extraordinary <laughs> and very cutting edge, right? And yeah. she was a bull in a china shop. I mean, she just knocked things over to, to find ways to get it done. And um, I think that she really had an impact on me trying to figure out the business side of of healthcare delivery because that's really where a lot of things fall short. Yeah, and and with that too, thinking about your career so far, for people interested in getting in the health field, whether it be as an entrepreneur, whether it be in even like in a strategy role on your side, like what would you tell them or any advice for people trying to get into this space? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, I think uh, healthcare is ripe for everything. Uh, we need marketers, we need you know designers, we need clinicians, technologists. Um, it, it's pretty much, if you think of the, the background, uh, even within legal, there's so much opportunity. I think healthcare traditionally really appreciates and respects, uh, you know, education and further degrees. I think that's probably changing a little bit, but at the end of the day, if you look at top leadership in most healthcare organizations, uh, whether that be even a, a large tech company, a healthcare provider and a payer and insurance company or, or a pharma organization, um, having, more advanced professional education has historically been valued a lot. Um, but ultimately, too, it's about getting exposure and getting experience on the ground, fully appreciating the challenges that the patients experience, that the challenges that the businesses themselves experience. And so I think there's just there's a lot of opportunity to bring in folks from outside of healthcare and life sciences to have an impact as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm always passionate about supporting people if they want to get get into this space. Awesome. And and one thing too, I'm always, always curious about how people, how people work, how they structure their day, how they decide what to work on, especially as I'm interviewing lots of different entrepreneurs, executives, et cetera, where there's so many different things potentially to work on. Uh, and you want to make an impact clearly how take me through like a day and this COVID now, so it may be different, but take me through like what a day for you looks like, Christy. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that it's different because pre-COVID it would you know oftentimes involve boarding a flight and uh, either going to flying across the country to Boston where our headquarters is, um, Orbit is based in in Seaport there, uh, or you know heading to a speaking engagement. Now it's a lot of um, a lot of virtual work, a lot of business development, reconnecting with folks, making the phone call checking in, seeing how things are going, and then uh, supporting our teams on the ground. So supporting our, our sales and marketing machine, um, working with our leadership team and our technology teams to really continue to adapt to changing market dynamics. I actually like to start out my day by uh, doing some quick scanning of what's happening in the industry to, to stay fresh on, on, on those trends. <laughs> Where do you look for that? Just curious. Yeah, it's a great question. I look at a lot of uh, kind of digital health uh, publications, Moby Health News, MedCity News, uh, His Talk, HIS Talk is great for more of the CIO and healthcare crowd. Um, Becker's Hospital Review is great for for industry trends as well. MM and M um, for from the marketing perspective across healthcare and life sciences. There's quite a few. I have my Google alerts set up to to also send me a digest <laughs> daily, and so. 
I throw everything in there from industry terms to uh, interesting companies and, and try to stay on top of things. Awesome. And one thing too, uh, especially you mentioned before having, having kids and doing this job and other things, I'm curious, like what is the recharge look like for you? How do you recharge for, from work? I'm always kind of curious about that too. <laughs> That's a really good question right now. Uh, <laughs> man. Uh, well, I always start my day with a good workout, um, whether that's uh, a run through Golden Gate Park here in San Francisco, um, sometimes go down to, to my garage and do a plyometric workout, try to get a sweat in. For me, that's uh, self-care time. Um, Every now and then in the afternoon, I'll, I'll try to sign off early and go for a walk. I mean, stop by my friend's coffee shop um, just to get some fresh air. We're close to uh, the Panhandle here in the Bay Area or here in San Francisco. And so getting getting some fresh air and, and time outside. But honestly, my kids, while they're young, they're ages two, four and six. They're uh, they're super fun. They're really cute. It's a lot of work, but um, it's nothing like being around them to, to kind of shift gears and and give you a different and broader perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone has a different way of kind of recharging. But I think the the health side of it with like the workouts and everything, like for me, it's always been a big thing as well in the morning, whether that be, you know, going for a run or, or lifting weights, or even just like you mentioned with the walk, the walk can be so nice. I've started to do more of that now during COVID uh, when you just need to like step away from the computer for a bit because you've been at it for like Eight, eight to 10 hours. You're like, okay, let's, let's move away from this. Um, and this is definitely helpful to find a way to recharge. And, and looking back on your, your career so far, what have been the biggest kind of lessons or, or takeaways as you've had so much experience with, you know, technology and health and kind of the, 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 the combination of the two. I'm curious on what your lessons would be from that. Yeah. It's interesting. I think a younger version of me would have been a little more gun shy to say it, but Finding out all the failures, right? The starts and stops, the stuff that's unsexy in the trenches that <laughs> get done is um, is really important. I think uh, putting in the time and the hours that I did, especially early on, um, and then also spending time to invest in people, building relationships and being able to nurture those relationships over you know fifteen to twenty years uh, comes full circle. And so, folks that I started you know getting to know in undergrad that have now gone on 20 years later to do some just really cool stuff <laughs> is, uh, is very exciting and it's powerful because I'm able to, to use those networks now to do things faster and quicker than I would have been able to otherwise. Absolutely. It's always helpful to have have that. And it's interesting when you invest in those relationships and you see how people advance. Uh, that's, that's something I think about a, a lot as I'm talking to just so many interesting people people through the podcast and even through the work of coefficient labs as well. It's like, you're just curious as to how they grow and progress. And like one person, for example, had interviewed early on in the show and now she's like, just raised another round of funding, progressing, your company's moving along. And it was, it's just a, a little baby company when we first talked and you see the progression. You're like, it's so cool to see that uh, in people as, as time goes on. Uh, so it's always worthwhile to invest in those relationships. And where can people go to learn more about the work you're doing and work as Orbita is doing as well? Yeah, great question. We'll go to Orbita.ai, O-R-B-I-T-A, Orbita.ai. Um, our website's pretty robust. We also have a pretty solid presence on social media, particularly LinkedIn. Um, and you know, follow us on there. You'll get get updates. Subscribe to our newsletter. We're always hosting webinars. Um, that's kind of been our sweet spot. So it's been fun to expand on that in in this virtual world. 
Um, and then always happy to connect with your listeners and, and, and share notes, especially if folks are looking to get into the space. I try to carve out some of my, my limited time week to week to <laughs> do some mentorship or, or take, take calls with net new contacts and, um, and see how I can support folks and, and give back. Awesome. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Justin. It's been a pleasure. Really, I uh, really appreciate everything you're doing here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.